I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Uh, you can uh, keep that bit of God's word open. That would be really, really helpful to us all. Let me, let me pray. Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who speaks and who wants to be known. We thank you for what we've just read, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So we, we pray that that would be happening right now that you would be granting us understanding, that you would be helping us to see more of what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I don't know if you've heard of imposter syndrome. Maybe you might go, yes, that is absolutely me. I have imposter syndrome. It is when you feel like a fraud. You feel like everybody else knows what they're doing, but not you. You are not what other people think they are, and you are just waiting for the day when everybody finds out. A lot of people struggle with this. I know I have in the past. Uh, that sense of other people, well, they, they belong, but, but not you. It's a horrible feeling. It's one that I think lots of people have uh, in lots of areas, but also in their Christian lives. You have a sense, don't we, that other people have it sorted, but not me. Those people, they are definitely real Christians. I'm probably not. A sort of lack of assurance. And if you're not sure that you are really in, if you are the real thing, then you are not going to live as fully for God as you would do if you were absolutely sure, are you? You wouldn't dare to pray boldly because who knows if he's listening. You won't be necessarily consistent in your godliness because, well, I don't really know 100% where I stand. Why would I give myself fully to this? I don't really know if I'm the real thing. And this letter of 1 John has been written for people like that, people who are worried, people who are concerned that they might not be real Christians. They might not have that sort of confidence before God or confidence uh, in his love for us and his concern for us. People who've been made to feel second rate, people who've been made to feel um, less than by, by a bunch of super spiritual elite Christians. And as we come to this final section 
of the letter. John is underlining that. He's underlining why he's written to them. That it was to give us that confidence. To give us that confidence of our status before God. And then he pushes two ways of living that out. To say, okay, well, if we really are the real thing, how's that going to affect us in a, in a couple of ways? So the first thing, that giving us that confidence, is to say that believers have life. Believers have life. That is the thing we need to know. So in a sense, if you take nothing else away from this series in 1 John, take verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to believers in Jesus. He's writing to people who trust in Jesus to save them. And we saw last time, didn't we, that that means believing the truth about Jesus, not just sort of any ideas that happen to pop into my head, but the fact that he is the Son of God. He's saying, you who believe that, you have eternal life. It might not always feel like it. It might not look like it. There might be other people who seem to be a bit more than you, but the people who have real life are the people who believe in Jesus. We talked about assurance a few weeks ago and how important that is. Well, here it is again. Here's how we can know. It is possible to know that you are a real Christian. If you are trusting in the name of the Son of God, saying believers have life. We have eternal life. That is life forever with God, starting now and going on into eternity. It isn't simply kind of, oh, we get to do this with God after we die. Eternal life is now going on forever. It's a quality of life that we didn't have before we were Christians, of being spiritually alive and awake to the Lord in a way that non-believers are not. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus defines eternal life for us. He's praying and he says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus defines that kind of life as knowing God in Jesus. So if that's what it is, of course, if we're believing in and trusting in and leaning on Jesus, then we have life. We have life now and forever. Believers in Jesus have life in Jesus. That's where verse 20 of our passage takes us. Let me read verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That is a wonderful verse, isn't it? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? We've been thinking a lot about uh, true <laughs> over this series, haven't we? Not the TV series Felicity was watching this afternoon, which also happens to be called True, but not that one. Uh, we've been thinking about what it is to be true, how we can know what is true, how we can believe what is true, how we can figure out if we are true believers. And here's the bedrock of all of that. He is true. Him who is true. That's a great name for the Lord, isn't it? 
that we can trust in him who is true. We can know him who is true. There are so many who are false, who are uncertain, who are untrustworthy, but the Lord our God is him who is true. Because Jesus has come, we can know him who's true. And in fact, more than that, we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. We are in God by being in Jesus through faith. That is enormous, isn't it? That connection between us and the Lord. To be in him, that is real life. I don't know how you found 1 John uh, as we've been going through it over the last little while. I found it very, very difficult to preach on. It's really, really hard. I've really enjoyed it as well. But it's tough. It's a book full of puzzles, isn't it? There's lots of riddles. Lots of the time as I've been preparing, I've going, but why did you say it like that? That just makes it more complicated. But then you untangle it and go, oh, no, it's much better like that. Uh, but that keeps happening through this. In a book full of all those riddles and puzzles and complicated things, this much should be clear. Believers have life. Believers in Jesus, not through some new knowledge like these other people were claiming or through ditching the truth, ditching Jesus altogether, living however they want like these other people were doing, but faith in Jesus. When he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That is really important for us to, to sink in. All the things we've been hearing over the last few months in this letter, to let that sink in. People who believe in Jesus, who really trust in Jesus, have life. And if we know that, if we know that for sure, then that will change our life. That will change the way that we are, the way that we relate to God, the way that we live. And in particular in this final section, I think John is pointing out that it leads to, to two things. It leads to praying with confidence and it leads to turning from sin. Let's, let's look at those in turn. Praying with confidence. If we know that we have life in Jesus because of our faith in Jesus, then that will cause us to pray confidently. Now, verse 14 and 15 are where, where we really get that. And, and they are tricky verses because they are so full of confidence. So full of confidence, it almost seems unrealistic, doesn't it? Let me, let me read those. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's bold, isn't it? That is really confident. The idea of approaching God at all might seem presumptuous already. But then to say we can confidently approach him knowing that he hears us. Oh, what a privilege that is. That draws us to pray, doesn't it? And more than that, to say that we have what we ask for. One of the things to pull out from that is we are supposed to ask God for things. I wonder if sometimes we can uh, think, oh, that seems a bit too sort of mercenary I don't know a little bit um, it just doesn't seem quite right surely I can't possibly be actually asking him for specific things whereas this seems to be saying no actually pin down what you are asking God for and ask him God is wanting us to ask he wants us to ask for things knowing that he hears us and knowing that he's inclined towards granting it to us 
Now, note that I didn't say that he absolutely will give it to us, whatever it is. I don't think that's what it's actually saying. It does depend on what we're asking for. But this is a challenge to us, isn't it? Sometimes when we might think, well, I won't bother asking because it'll only be a no. Or to have a sense that I'm coming in prayer because I should, but I don't actually think God is inclined to be generous to me in that way. Whereas instead, we're being called to pray with confidence that as our loving Father, he delights to give us good things. So if it is a no, that will be a good thing. And the prayers that he answers yes to are the things where we are asking according to his will, verse 14. It's easy to pray about our will, the things, I want this, I would like that, I want the other thing. But to pray according to his will, that takes knowing God, doesn't it? That takes knowing him deeply. So we know what he's like, we know what he wants, we know his priorities, we know his desires for the world. We read the Bible, we're shaped by that truth. And so we, we aren't asking for things which his word would tell us are not good for us. We're not asking for things that his word would instruct us, actually, that's neither here nor there. That doesn't matter. Instead, bit by bit, our priorities begin more and more to match God's priorities. And so we pray according to his will. His expressed will that he's told us about. So of course we can pray about anything, whatever we ask. And if he wants to give it to us, he will. If it would be good for us, he will. But these are the prayers he's saying he will always answer. Prayers like that in accordance with his will. Now we might think, well, what's the point in asking? If it's just sort of according to his will, he would have just done it anyway. What was the point of asking? Well, actually, no, he wouldn't have done. God so delights in our relationship with him, that there are things that he has planned that will not happen until we ask. Because he wants that relationship with us. Not to twist his arm, not to persuade him to do something he doesn't want to do, but praying with confidence about the things we know he cares about, the things that he promises to answer. Now, in case we're wondering sort of what sort of stuff, what sort of stuff then should we? We get an example straight afterwards in verse 16 and onwards. And it says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. You see, that's an example of exactly what he's just been saying. He's saying, pray for these kinds of things and you will be given them. And he says, right, for example, if you see a brother or sister committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, pray and God will give them life. Praying for fellow believers drifting into sin, that is something God really cares about. So pray about that confidently. Now, I was saying this is a book full of puzzles. Uh, this brings a puzzle, doesn't it? Sins that do lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. That is a really, really tricky one. Um, I was pretty sure the wages of sin is death and all sins lead to death. How does this work? Well, let's, let's read the whole of verse 16 and 17. It says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Again, what? <laughs> 
How do we make sense of that? Well, a few things to bear in mind. First of all, he does say all wrongdoing is sin. So whatever way we need to get around this, it's not going, oh, so there are some sins that are okay and some sins that are not. No, all wrongdoing is sin. It's all bad. So Roman Catholics, for example, get this wrong. When they talk about venial sins, the things that can be uh, forgiven easily, you don't even need to worry about, and mortal sins, those things that are not forgivable in that sense. So no, all sins are mortal, all sins, sin leads to death in that sense. But it's not saying that there are two types of sin, one is okay and one is not. It can't be talking about that. And let's remember chapter 1 verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So again, it's not, oh, there are some sins which God can forgive us for when we repent and other sins which he can't. It can't be that, can it? All sin that is repented of can be forgiven. The thrust of these verses is that when a brother or sister, as in a a real Christian, when they sin, they can be restored through repentance. So sin that leads to death, I don't think it's a particular sin. I think it's a settled state of sinning where somebody will not repent. If they would repent, they'd be forgiven, but they won't. They have reached a point where they just will not. And so the sin that they're currently engaged in is one that will lead them ultimately to eternal death, to final judgment. That is the state that they are in. As opposed to a true Christian who will sin, but will come back. He's saying those people... Those people in that situation, pray for those people because they will come back and they will come back in response to you praying for them. So pray for them. David Jackman uh, suggests that the the idea of um, sins that lead to death, that it can be about truth and error again. So the sin that leads to death could be denying the gospel like people had done in those days, deserting the good news. And without that good news, there is no way back. There is only one bridge to cross on. So if you burn that bridge, there is no way back. He says that their sin is not so much unpardonable, but that it remains unpardoned and will continue to do so because they refuse to repent. Those in John's day who ditched the truth, who walked away from church, He doesn't know if they are coming back. He doesn't know. So he says, I'm not saying you should pray about that. He's not telling us not to pray. He's just saying, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say pray for these people, I'm not talking about that situation. I'm talking about this situation. We must pray when we see real Christians drifting off into sin. That we can pray about with confidence. That he will bring them back. He will give them life. That is one way that we love each other that we pray for each other, that real Christians will stick with it, not least because they will have brothers and sisters confidently praying for them. So whatever the sin that leads to death thing is, John's point is pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. Pray for people according to God's will. He will hear. He will answer. And you won't pray like that unless you know that believers have life, that you as a believer in Jesus have eternal life. And that other people who are drifting off, if they continue to believe and they repent in Jesus, they will be given life again. It's not, oh dear, you sinned, you're off, you're done. You've got one chance. 
No. Confidence that believers have life leads to confidence in prayer. So let's pray for people. That might be something we need to do this evening. It might be that there's somebody you need to pray with or for. You say, actually, I wonder if that's something I'm doing. I, I, I hope I'm not in a pattern of sin that is ultimately going to lead me away from the Lord in that sense. I hope that what I'm doing is sinning in a way that I come back. I want to come back. Please pray for me. That would be a great thing to do. So that's one way that Jesus changes us by causing us to pray. And the other one sort of flows out of the sorts of things we've just been talking about and praying for, and that is turning from sin. Knowing that we have life as believers will cause us to turn from sin. Sin is not what we should be doing. That should be quite obvious. But this is why he's saying when you see them drifting off into that sin, pray for them because that is not how we're supposed to be now. If we're living life with Jesus, that is not compatible with a lifestyle of sin. Let's look at verse 18. It says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. That's another tough verse, isn't it? I thought this was supposed to be encouraging, and now it's saying that believers don't sin. Is that what it's saying? No, it's not. It's not saying we don't sin. Remember chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So yes, we sin. What we don't do is continue in sin. What that means is we don't carry on sinning the way we did before. We turn from it. There's been a decisive break from it. We don't just carry on sinning as if that's fine. We don't persist in that, in that sort of way. Whereas we used to hate God and love sin, now we love God and we hate sin. And so when we do sin, it bothers us. We wish we hadn't done it. We take active steps to avoid it. We repent in very practical terms. If we know we have life in Jesus, then we will turn from sin. The reason we don't carry on sinning is not that we're so great and we've sorted ourselves out. It's that Jesus is protecting us. See that in verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. Satan would love to trap us in sin. He would love to destroy us with it. He would love to take us down that path where that sin was a step in the direction of rejection of God and step towards hell. Satan would love to do that. But Jesus has other plans. Jesus has other plans for us. He protects us. Verse 19 spells out that most of the world may be under the control of the evil one, but we're not. We are the children of God. And so Satan won't have the last word for us. Because we're born of God and we're protected by the one who was born of God. He leads us, he keeps us from harm. And since it's Jesus that's in control of our lives, not Satan, we follow him. We do what he would have us do. We turn from sin. We turn from anything that's less than true. And that's where the letter ends in verse 21. As he says, dear children... Keep yourselves from idols. 
And that sounds like a change of subject, doesn't it? It sounds like a change of subject. When I used to teach um, preaching on a local training course, this is one of the things I would often tell them to do. Don't introduce a new idea in the last couple of minutes. People haven't got time. Don't introduce a new idea. And then John goes and breaks my rule, doesn't he? In the very last sentence, he brings up idols. He's not said anything about idols so far through the whole letter. Why would you do that? Well, I don't think he's changing the subject. It's a call to stick with Jesus. It's a call to stick with Jesus. Children, keep yourself away from fakes. Idols are not just statues that people bow down to. Idolatry is any time we put anything in the place of God. Any time we sin, there's a bit of idolatry there because at that moment, God is not being our God at that point in time. When we reject the true Jesus in favour of a lesser version, that's a form of idolatry as well. And that's why John's parting shot is this. Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Jesus is the truth. Jesus, he is he who, him who is true. And since that's the case, stay away from idols. Stay away from fakes. Stay away from false ideas. Stick close to him who is true. Even if other people walk away, even if other people deny the truth about Jesus or claim to be sinless while actually indulging in sin, even if other people are being hateful towards you, all the things we see through this letter, you stick with the truth. You stay away from idols and stick close to the Lord Jesus. If we are somebody who trusts in Jesus, who is seeking to turn from sin, pray with confidence, keep on trusting him, then this letter should be an encouragement to us that we are not imposters. We are not pretending. We are real Christians. We have real life in Jesus. So let's continue with him. Let's continue with him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for these words that we who believe in the name of the Son of God can know that we have eternal life. Please would you fill us with that sort of confidence in you, confidence to approach you, confidence to come before you boldly in prayer, confidence in our position with you so that we turn away from sin and follow the Lord Jesus. In all these ways, please keep us faithful to him, away from idols and sticking with him who is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.